helping people navigate real life with arthritis. I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis for 17 years, and I'm also a mom, teacher, and occupational therapist. I'm so excited to share my tricks for managing the ups and downs of life with arthritis. Everything from kitchen life hacks to how to respond when people say you don't look sick, stress, work, sex, anxiety, fatigue, pregnancy, and parenting with chronic illness. No topic will be off limits here. I'll also talk to other patients and share their stories and advice. Think of this as your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. Hi everyone, I'm so excited to be chatting with Chronic Eileen this morning. We are going to be answering your questions about stress management and quality of life, how all the things we can do to improve our quality of life with all of the stressors that can occur with living with rheumatoid arthritis. And so, um, welcome Sjogren's health coach, Divya. And my, I think it's Mary, there's Eileen, yay! And yeah, please feel free, we want this to be interactive. We'd love to see your questions in the comments. I'm sorry, I look like my eyes are a little red this morning. I don't know if anyone else with rheumatoid arthritis has that where um, I know that chronic dry eyes is, can be a side effect of uh, rheumatoid arthritis in some of our meds, but also um, sometimes, yeah, uh, we also are more likely to have Sjogren's and stuff like that. But yeah, I woke up this morning and my eyes were just like not happy with me. So I see Eileen is here. There we go. I'm going to feel free to put um, your questions in the chat. But for those of you, I'm going to start with introductions. Oh, there she is. Hi. Oh, Hello. Hello. Look, your hair is Good. Let me Mine's short. Oh. <laughs> it's in a bun. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, thanks so much for coming on. So um, thank you for having me. Yeah. Why don't we each introduce ourselves real quick first? Because I know there might be some people that follow you, but not me, or me, but not you. So why don't you go first? All right. Well, my name's Eileen Davidson, and I don't live far from Cheryl, but I do live in another country. So yeah. I'm from Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I live with rheumatoid arthritis, and I was diagnosed. Oh, exactly almost seven years ago. Um, oh. and, but it took a really long time for me to actually get my diagnosis, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, I started showing symptoms around 24. Um, and yeah, so I became an advocate about a year or two after my diagnosis. Started off with blogging and now I do a lot of things. I wear many hats in the advocacy world from participating in research for writing for creaky joints and volunteering with other organizations. And yeah. it's been a really uh, rewarding experience becoming an advocate. Yeah, I, that's how I met you, I believe. I think yes. we're both doing, yeah, doing things for creaky joints. And yeah, awesome. Um, I, just to introduce myself for those who don't know me, I'm Cheryl Crow. I am an occupational therapist and I have had rheumatoid arthritis for 19 years. And um, I actually went to occupational therapy school six years after my diagnosis. So um, I did not, a lot of people kind of, become, you know, um, choose their career based on RA, but my, my RA was actually in remission when I went to OT school. So um, long story short, that's my, uh, my work experience, but I also am a mom like Eileen, and I also do a lot of advocacy work. And just I really enjoy sharing my story and helping others, you know, feel less alone. And I do run a support group and education program um, called Room to Thrive, which is open this week for registration. <laughs> but um, I think today we wanted to share, you know, one of my passions is, you know, how can we improve our mental health and how can we manage the stress that comes along, you know, with this condition? Yeah. And I know you've been really open about talking about your, you know, challenges as well. So um, what are some of the things that have helped you manage the stress that comes along with chronic illness? Uh, well, there's many different things. There's many different types of stress as well. So there's some stress that you cannot help, unfortunately. Um, and that's always the most difficult one. I would say finances can be really difficult when you're living on disability, especially as a single mother. So it's just, I guess, educating yourself and informing yourself on how to get all the benefits you need, get any supports that you can get throughout the community, um, learn how to make really healthy meals cheap and batch cook and things like that. Um, 
and you know um asking friends if they can help you with anything as well obviously you maybe don't want to ask them for money but hey say um you have an apple orchard can you give me some apples you know just little things like that um uh, but what you can do because like i said there's many different types of stress obviously but you know uh the one thing that I usually do when I feel stressed, it's interesting, this topic, because whenever I do get stressed, I notice um, straight away a physical response. Like as that cortisol gets released in your body, my joints get hot, my body starts to ache more, my brain gets really foggy, and I can only focus on my stress. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I get extremely tired. And if, if I do have like an emotional or stressful situation in the day, I need to take a nap. So that's one thing that really helps is rest, tackling the, uh, whatever is stressing you right as fast as you can and don't let it sit because I find if I do let it sit and simmer, yeah. I it starts to eat away at my sleep particularly. Yeah. And then that's it goes into the cycle of pain and fatigue where it makes everything worse. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess physically, I also tend to make sure I exercise, get fresh air, you know, drink lots of water, eat healthy, uh, do yoga, what well, what more yoga moves I can do, of mm-hmm. course, because that's always different for anybody living with arthritis. Um, and then just talking about it, like expressing myself is such a cathartic experience. It can really help even just being able to vocalize what you're stressed about can help yeah. you figure out, oh, well, maybe I need to do this about it. Or, ah, you know, when I talk about it, it doesn't actually seem like that big of a deal. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that it's interesting you mentioned that because, yeah, for me, you know, I didn't actually, I was very stubborn about admitting that I needed help managing stress. Um, it wasn't till my son was one year old that I finally was like, okay, this is too much. Like, I can't handle the stress of my postpartum flare up of rheumatoid arthritis and, you know, adjusting to having a child. And I honestly think it was only because there's so much awareness of postpartum depression and anxiety that I even felt like, okay, it's quote unquote bad enough to go to therapy, which, you know, now that's one of the reasons I'm so open now because I'm like, you know, you shouldn't wait until it's really bad. You know, it's actually no. yeah, to start there. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that just the process of articulating to my therapist, like, Oh, well, like this is happening and this. And just, I remember one of the most memorable things that happened in the first few months of therapy was when she said, wow, you've been through a lot. And it was like, I needed someone external, like someone that didn't already know me and wasn't biased towards me to actually acknowledge like, yeah, that is a lot. Like sometimes we are, we're so tough on ourselves and we're like, it's not that bad. Like other people have it worse. I shouldn't be struggling, you know? And so Mm -hmm. having someone else be able to listen to you and suggest ideas was so helpful for me. Yeah, the validation thing really does help. My rheumatologist, I, I had a bad bump in the fall, winter, yeah. and she actually took the time to call me outside of my appointment to say, you've been through a lot, you know, and I was just like, oh my gosh, even just hearing that was like, okay, I feel like I can heal because I can accept that I have been through a lot and I'm not being this drama queen about it. Isn't, yeah, we really, we, we gaslight ourselves sometimes, you know? And, you know, I think for me it was because when I first was misdiagnosed as being a hypochondriac, that really, like, had an effect on me because I felt like if a doctor thought I had issues with stress or anxiety, then they would think that all of my problems are related to anxiety and not actually to my illness of rheumatoid arthritis. Mm-hmm. So I had this big stubborn block, like I'm not stressed, like I'm really good. I kept being like, it's like, this is where positive self-talk is not helpful sometimes. I was like, I'm managing it, like I'm good, I'm good, I could do this, I got this, but really it was taking a toll on me. And so, um, you know, one of the things I, this is so nerdy, but for those of you who like to make graphs and charts, I literally made this thing called my chronic illness stress decision helper it is not very memorable name. It's too many syllables, but it's, it's a chart. It's a flow chart. That's like, okay, I, if I'm having stress right now, somewhat related to my chronic illness, the first question is, it's like an if then, is this stress a, a thinking problem? And what I mean by that is like, if you've ever gone through cognitive behavior therapy, it's like sometimes the thoughts we have are what is causing us more stress. For example, like yeah. the thought that I should be able to 
handle it better or everyone else ha- knows something I don't, I'm stupid, you know, like these thought distortions. So, um, and I love what, by the way, Liz is saying, as moms, I think we have to deal with every, yeah, we think we have to deal with every stress that comes along, but giving yourself maybe a little vacation not to think about stress, that is a great idea. Um, but yeah, yeah. So the first thing is like, okay, is this something I could change? I could, could I change my thoughts about this experience, the, the thing I'm stressed about? And would that help alleviate some of the stress? That's, and, and then, but not everything is a thinking problem, right? That's why I think CBT is limited. Um, because you also can say, okay, maybe it's not. Like maybe the issue is um, I am having more physical symptoms right now and I'm, I'm worried, I'm stressed that maybe my medications are wearing off. So mm-hmm. if it's that, that's not, you can't think differently about that. That's like, that's like a, that's reality, right? I mean, you can, yeah, yeah. yeah. So Toxic positivity doesn't get us anywhere. It sounds nice, it looks nice on a little meme, but it's not reality. Yeah, like sometimes we have to look it in the face and say, okay, like, yeah, with a condition like rheumatoid arthritis, it's characterized by flare-ups and remissions and ups and downs over time. Sometimes we have this reality of, you know, my symptoms are getting worse and um, I'm not sure, you know, I, I don't know if it's, when is it going to get better? I think we all have that thought in our heads sometimes. And so or when yeah. it, or is it going to get worse? And so if it's, if it's that kind of problem, I say, okay, is it solvable or perpetual? Like if it's like a solvable problem could be like, well, if your meds really aren't working, you could talk to your doctor about switching them, right? But a perpetual problem or one that's not solvable is like uncertainty. Like no matter what in life, we're always going to have some uncertainty, you know? So then we have to say, okay, I can't solve that problem. That's something I have to learn to cope with. So just because I can't solve it doesn't mean I can't change how I feel about it. I can at least change my relationship to these unsolvable problems and this I know this maybe sounds complicated but in those in that case I would say okay can I just be mindful in the moment like sit with myself acknowledge the problem name the problem like you said just saying it out loud can be helpful and Mm -hmm. then say like can I give myself some self-compassion in the moment like that is a lot you know can I try to like just center myself and sit with it and that's kind of the mindfulness-based approach that, that's helped me at least I don't know if you do anything like that either yes I definitely I definitely do um I find I can be my worst critic and the self you know the negative self-talk is yeah. can run rampant some days especially kind of depending on where I am at the time of the month for yeah. hormonal reasons and also yeah. is it getting closer to my infusion so as I start to kind of wear down, I can kind of get really um, down on myself. And then I have to remind myself that, you know, this is the week before my infusion. This is something that I can't control, like yeah. hormones. They do something to us. My cat's about to say hello. Oh. <laughs> this oh my is God. Penelope. Hi, Penelope. Hi. Oh, pets are a great stress management tool, by the yes. way. <laughs> so I have four of them for yeah. that exact reason. But yeah. Um, I totally lost. Oh my gosh! Uh, uh, Cats are so distracting. I know, and I looked over my dog, and I totally lost it too. I'm sorry. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. No, I think. Well, but let's just take a moment to acknowledge. Yes, pet therapy is huge. And yeah, Haley says um, you're tracking your. I'm, I'm guessing you mean tracking your stress related to. Um, yeah, related to your cycle. And yeah, there's definitely people that feel like there's also like the physical flare ups. But yeah, differentiating the stress and just naming it like in my um, in my therapy sessions, my therapist used an approach called acceptance and commitment therapy, which is also known as ACT, which I use a lot yeah. now. And it has a lot of strong evidence for chronic pain. And it's just saying, you know, um, there's there's the physical sensations and then there's the thoughts we have about them, right? So I could say like, I'm ha- like, I'm feeling these things and then I'm having, I'm having the thought that this might not ever get better. And that sounds like okay, yeah. you could say to yourself, this might not ever get better. Oh my gosh, it might get worse. I might not be able to handle it. I can't cut blah, blah, blah. Or you, then you could just take one step back and say, these are thoughts and you don't need to try to change them, but just acknowledging that they're thoughts, it kind of reminds yourself that they're not like thoughts are not facts, right? They're just mm-hmm. they're things, stories your brain's trying to tell you, you know? So that, that's been something that's helpful to me. And again, not to minimize your thoughts, not to be like, you're just a thought. I shouldn't care about you. You just say, okay, I'm having the thought. Like, 
Like I have negative thoughts about myself all the time. It actually surprises me once I pay attention to my internal dialogue. I think of myself as kind of like a happy-go-lucky person, but I'm often like, or even the other night I stayed up too late reading and I was like, um, gosh, you're like always telling everyone to like prioritize sleep. And like, you're being a bad arthritis influencer. You're not taking care of your sleep needs and you feel like crap the next day and you're trying to, you know, but, and then it's like, okay, those are just, you know, my, my brain is being critical right now. And you can even imagine it like a shoulder angel and a shoulder devil, you know, the angel's like, you're great. And the shoulder devil's like, you suck. And then just not saying that one's right and one's wrong. Just realizing these are just different interpretations, you know, of reality can be really helpful. Yeah. Haley, yeah, I definitely agree. Um, for me, and you said something about just like naming it and sitting there and recognizing it can help. Even just writing it down for yourself or journaling can help mm -hmm. kind of just vocalize your stress and get it out there. Um, and then that's when you can really start taking the steps that you need to. Or like I said, realize this isn't the biggest deal. Uh, mm -hmm. I do like the fact that you recognize them as thoughts because thoughts yeah. not, aren't necessarily reality. Mm -hmm. And the, I think it takes some practice for sure to stop those thoughts from becoming a, making yourself go down into a downward spiral of depression. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, something my therapist somehow got through to my head was, like, you can't change your initial thoughts and your initial emotions, but you can change how you think about your thoughts and how you think about your emotions. So it's like the initial, you know, let's say anger or frustration or sadness, trying to control that is a losing battle. That's like a wave. It's just going to crest and go back down. But if you then say, I'm, I'm, let's say the example I gave of, you know, staying up too late, I'm feeling self-critical. And that's just, that automatically is a thought that just arose in my head. Like you're stupid. How did you stay up too late? You feel like crap. It's all your fault. But I can change my reaction to those thoughts. I can say, yep, that's a story. I can either believe that and be like, yeah, I'm a failure. Like I shouldn't even be teaching other people what to do if I can't even do it myself. Like, or I could say, oh, those are just a story my brain's trying to tell me, you know, that's just my critical brain. <laughs> And I, I didn't want to forget this really quick. Beth is going down asked, how do you handle stress at home when your safe space isn't? And I wonder if that is related to, do you mean, I'm curious if you mean like your safe space is no longer safe for some reason. Like, is it maybe too chaotic because you have kids and projecting there? Or I, I'm not sure what you mean by when your safe space not being safe. So if you could let us know what you mean by that. Or do, do you know what she means, Kylie? <laughs> I'm thinking maybe her home isn't the safe space. That's the yeah. area that is causing her the stress. Oh, okay. Um, oh, yeah, like literally safe. Sorry, I'm like going off into this metaphorical tangent, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, gosh, that is, like, I guess. It really, yeah. Yeah, is it a solvable is problem it, or is it unsolvable is the first question. I think I would it would depend on the problem, but I guess, like, the first tool that she could try is communication. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and seeing, like, you know, I try to tell myself, solve what I can about the situation and then adapt to the rest, you know. So if you could move, you know, I mean, I know it's a very confused thing to say, but, like, if that's a possibility – you know, or is there some sort of safety measures you could take, like getting a um, safety, you know, system, you know, alert system or something like that? Or if it's more emotionally, you know, unsafe, trying to see whether the root cause of that in the relationships could be, you know, mm -hmm. healed or resolved. Um, but, um, yeah, like that's why I think um, self, uh, Neff, self-compassion, Kristen Neff, she's a PhD researcher that does a lot on self-compassion and I, I think self-compassion is, is to me it's like my latest thing that I'm clinging to because it it really is helpful because the, the one thing that you have with you at all times is yourself right that's the only kind of guarantee until mm -hmm. you're not here anymore so saying in those moments giving yourself some compassion because that sounds like a really really challenging situation to, to be dealing with and yeah Liz says I have trouble forgiving myself for not sleeping. When I say it out loud, I hear how that sounds. Yes. Yeah. And writing it, you know, it is like Eileen mentioned writing. There's a different part of your brain that's active when you're like speaking versus writing. And that really yep. fascinating. Like, and that's like, even you'll see that because after strokes, depending on where the strokes are in the brain, sometimes a patient can read and, and write, but not speak, or they could speak, but not read and write or what, you know, 
So it's literally different parts of your brain. I mean, they're overlapping a little bit because they both have to do with language. But yeah, it's really incredible because and I, my theory about that, not that anyone's asking, but <laughs> this is our platform, is that it's like when you are writing, you are becoming like the observing self. So like yourself is like the one that's having the initial experience. It's like the, the star of the movie of your life. And then the observing self is the one that's like watching that, you know, the one that's like, I'm watching the movie of Cheryl's life. So the minute you start writing, you're thinking about it, not you're telling a story, right? You're telling a story of what's happening. And that kind of reminds you that it's, it's just a story. Um, Yeah. um, I definitely like that. That makes me think of being a writer mm -hmm. uh, with living with rheumatoid arthritis. Some people are like, because I struggle some days to physically write. But I love to write, although I can't really get into the mood because of my shoulder or neck pain, you know, pain. Um, I'm sure as an OT, you have many suggestions. Yes. And one, of, one that I hear all the time is use one of those voice to text things. And I'm like, it's just not the same. It's <laughs> just not the same. Not. Yeah. Sitting there in silence and like getting lost in your thoughts and being able to do this. But unfortunately, you know, one of my biggest stressors has been um, using the computer too much so it that's another way to reduce stress on yourself is just to break things up or find adaptations to do things so like i have um i get up every hour for five ten minutes and move around um and that kind of helps me get over some of the stress of the pain mm -hmm. that i'm experiencing and how that's giving me some mental block it doesn't always work but it can help um mm -hmm. and it also just helps kind of prevent more pain throughout the day which then makes me stressed out about, you know, I'm not feeling well to make dinner or I can't play with my kid later. So yeah. Right. Um, stress definitely is what, one of the biggest topics. And what I would like to ask you is you mm -hmm. said we have to change our thoughts or our feelings about something. We can't change the initial ones, but we can change them later. Do you have any suggestions on how we can do that? Like, how do we change our emotions and our thoughts? Like, it's yeah. not as well, easy as it sounds. No, and I don't think... There's no direct way to change your emotions. It's indirect in that it, you, you end up changing your emotions because you change the thoughts around it. Does that, so like, for example, like, it's like, I'm so visual, so I'm gonna try to like visualize this. So it's like, you start, I'm gonna use the same example from earlier, just for my brain simplicity. Like, I made a mistake in that I stayed up too late and I felt physically bad the next day. And so I start escalating. I start having a self-critical kind of anxious, anxious slash sad slash mad at myself, like a kind of swirl of emotions about that. Made a mistake. Then I start having, and that's why I'm emotionally feeling some emotions start to rise. The, those I can't change and the initial thoughts I can't change. But if I then allow myself to go to think, to believe those initial thoughts and think, yeah, that's the full story. The full story is I'm a failure. I made a mistake and that means that I suck. I'm, you know, I shouldn't be teaching other people how to manage their condition if I can't even do it myself. That, those are like the secondary thoughts. Those are the ones that if I don't change those, they're going to lead to even worse emotions and escalation. So it's like we, the wave is starting to crest. And then at that point I could stop. I think the biggest key is to take a pause and say, what thoughts am I having right now? Remembering that they're just thoughts. They're not facts. Like, hmm, I'm having a mixture of thoughts. Like, I'm having thoughts like I'm a failure. I'm having thoughts like you're stupid. I'm having thoughts like, how do you not have impulse control? You're 40. You know, <laughs> of course, I'm such a dork. I'm like, I don't have impulse control for reading. I have impulse control for like everything else, you know. <laughs> and so, um, but then I say, okay, well, then you... You're like, yeah, I have a lot of different choices in what the story is that I can tell about this moment. I could say, you know, yeah, I could keep going down the path of like, I'm a failure, or I could just say, I'm a human being. Like, humans make mistakes. I made a mistake just like anyone else. And, you know, to them, this is just one example. So, that, this is really more of a CBT than an act because it's kind of saying, what's an alternate? What's a different story? Not that maybe this is the wrong story and there's a right story, but what's something different? Because I think. Uh, they call it like the struggle. Okay, so this is where it, it relates to ACT. I was like, I know this relates to ACT, but I'm not saying it right. In acceptance and commitment therapy, they call it turning off the struggle switch. 
So the struggle switch is when we struggle with our thoughts and emotions and the here and now, as opposed to saying, yeah, I'm not going to struggle. Like, here's anxiety I, or here's self-criticism. I'm not going to struggle with it. It's just my brain is trying to, it's trying to make me a better person. And this is like the way that it's doing that. And, um, and then just reminding myself that this is just one way to interpret it. I also could interpret it with a compassionate lens. Yeah, I think you can also look at it in the sense that you stayed up late reading, but that's exercising your brain. You were learning things. You were doing something you enjoy. And you, for a moment, weren't focusing your entire schedule on being a patient. Yeah, that's a great So point. I think you yeah. should look at it. Yeah, like you should find, like, there's always pros and there's cons in everything, right? So maybe try to find the cons, like the pros of that and realizing, well, I had a good time. Yeah. Did it really cause anything bad for me? No. And did you learn anything while you read? I don't know what you're reading, but yeah. it was a romance novel. <laughs> okay, well then you were fully entertained and you took a moment for yourself, and that's okay. <laughs> no, and that is so true. And I think you and I, like, as we talk so much about our illnesses and our, and we want to like empower others, but it's so important to to remind ourselves and others that like this isn't our whole life and our whole identity. It's a big part of it. You know, but yeah, like, like when someone asked me, what are your favorite podcasts about arthritis? I was like, actually, you know, honestly, when I'm listening to podcasts, like I sometimes do definitely check in on other like chronic illness and arthritis podcasts. But even though I have my own arthritis podcast, arthritis life, um, I actually really love listening to things that are totally different, you know, to give myself a little brain break. You know, I listen to Conan O'Brien, you know, and like comedians mm -hmm. and things that just, you know, so that's a, that's a great, that's a great thing. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. And someone said, you know, Haley says, I struggle with self-compassion. Maybe that's a good ask. Is this the full story? Yeah. Just asking that question, what other stories could somebody tell about this? Like even saying, if someone had a video recorder and was vid videoing your day, what are, what is the different, you know, interpretations they could make, um, is a good question. And arthritis mood is asking, how do you cope with stress and negative emotions during PMS? I am the worst in that period. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing from understanding and relating. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, do you want to go first on oh, that one, or should why, I? Why don't you go? I was just talking. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, that one's very interesting because sometimes I can get snappy or cry over things, and then the next few days I'm like, what was that reaction, Eileen? <laughs> um, so I think, again, communication is really, really good because that way, you know, if you warn people, you know, it's nearing that time of the month um, and saying that's typically when my pain goes up because estrogen does that to us mm -hmm. too. Uh, I get bitchier, so, you know, they know I'm bitchier. And usually men are just like, okay, well, I'll let you be. You go be. But, you know, sometimes they can't let you be so again communication telling them i could really use some support right now um mm -hmm. but then also everything that they do can irritate us as well so it's yeah definitely walking that fine line but um breathing techniques just kind of controlling your anger controlling your feelings as best as you can taking time to yourself indulging in things that make you feel better but not in a bad you know that aren't bad for you of course um, and just realizing that those emotions will pass and, you know, there's different ways that you can ask your uh, gynecologist or your family physician, even your rheumatologist about, um, you know, getting your hormones checked, talking to somebody about if there's medications that might help you. I know that when I went on SSRIs, I stopped crying so much around my period and that's great. I get mm -hmm. far less anxiety. Um, Although stress can be more brought up around my period too because I experience a lot of night sweats. So that interrupts mm. my sleep. So I can always tell them I'm about to get my period soon because of the night sweats. Mm -hmm. um, and so I also, like health tracking really helps me kind of understand how to balance life with this condition. Yeah. So typically, you know, the week before my infusion, I don't do a lot. The week before my period or around my period, I don't do a lot. I don't book a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, but of course, you know, our cycles aren't always, you know, consistent. So sometimes I'm late or I skip a month. Um, okay. but yeah, just, you know, I think just being aware, self-aware as well helps, um, mm -hmm. in communication. And yeah. 
Yeah, and you know, arthritis mood, you said, I, I just want to point out, this is me being, putting like a therapist hat on here, but you said, you know, how do you cope with stress and negative emotions during PMS? I am the worst in that period. So I'm like, there's part, there's two parts of your question. There's some part of this is going to be, I think we need to accept that part of it's out of your control. Like, it's actually very humbling, right, to realize that our emotional life is not completely under our control. Sometimes you're going to have periods of volatility. And then, but you, again, the story you're telling yourself about that is partly under your control. So you think, I am the worst. That is a distorted thought. I, or, I mean, maybe, what if it's true? What if it's true, arthritis? You are officially, legitimately the worst person in the world at, at managing your stress and negative emotions. Okay. Like, not killing anyone, you know? And so, like, giving a little bit, again, like, there's all these exercises. I wish I could, like, think of the right one right now, but in an act called for defusion, D-E-F-U-S-I-O-N. And it involves things like, you know, um, taking your, like, thoughts and, like, turning them into a song or even, yeah, writing them out, pretending you're filming them. Like, you, you do something to detach yourself from your thoughts because that really is, like, and even just saying it out loud, you realize that's just a story, you know, and so saying, because that, and that'll stop you from going down to the shame spiral of, oh, I lost control of my emotions. Oh, I'm such a failure. Uh, even though it's from my period, I should be better. I should have been able to control it. Yeah, I cry nonstop in PMS as I get older. And, like, again, I'm sorry, I'm still on this self-compassion kick. But being like, you know, crying is part of life, right? Like, feeling emotions is part of life. Like, as Glennon Doyle Melton, my other, like, kind of hero person, says, you know, feelings are for feeling. Like, feelings aren't for, like, I think we get these messages from a young age, you know, to say, oh, stop crying, stop crying, you know, oh, stop, you know. All emotions are okay. It's the it's the actions we take from the, those emotions that maybe are or are not okay, right? And so, like, you think about how we treat toddlers. It's okay to be angry. It's not okay to hit, you know? It's okay to cry. It's not okay to beat yourself up emotionally because you cried, you know? So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. Oh, Sally yeah. Ann. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, did you want to say something else, Eileen? Um, yeah, and I, I, when I ever, I feel these negative emotions towards myself, I feel like I've made a mistake or I'm not doing something good enough. I ask myself, well, what realistic steps can I take to grow, to get better at this? Or what am I exactly looking for striving this perfection that might not even actually exist? Yes. Are you holding yourself up to a perfect standard that no one could achieve? Like, you know, it's, you know, trying to think, is there one person out there that's like the perfect, is there the perfect patient out there? You know, the perfect person that control, and even if no. they were, okay, good for them, but most, everyone else is going to have to deal with being a human, you know, and um, mm -hmm. yeah, so I, I definitely, I agree with that. It was just, Corey Mascara is a, like, a, he used to be, I think, a Buddhist monk, but he is a really great, he has a great account on Instagram, and he just shares these, like, inspirational mindfulness-based um, tidbits. I think Jatel, who's in the chat, introduced me to him. But he said this morning, you know, um, if you, there, it, oh, shoot, I'm going to forget how he said it, but it was something to do with, like, you know, it's like if you ask yourself, how can I get through this? That's one way to approach adversity. How do I get through this? I need to get through this. I can get through this. But you could also ask a different question, which is, like, how can this experience bring out the best in me like how can and that's annoying i know that's annoying to hear when you're going through like a shitty situation like rheumatoid arthritis like and you might not be in a place where that is like feels achievable to you but at some point you can kind of realize that there's a choice you have a choice in the questions you ask yourself you know and so um yeah that's my thought on that but i want to make sure i see sally and question if you're preparing to travel or know you have a busy week you can stress and tire yourself out thinking about how stressed you might become oh my gosh meta stress i do this so often yeah. you try and laugh at yourself yes laughing therapy is good but yeah any mm -hmm. other ideas eileen that you have for that preemptive stress yeah so that happens to me a lot anytime especially like before traveling like to a conference or a presentation and i have a million things to do in the week i loosely i literally start pacing around the house not actually doing anything but just like i need to get stuff done um yeah. and i'll start and then I'll, you get super distracted but it's um it's just creating that writing down everything that you need to do prioritizing what you need to do what is realistic that you can do 
um, mm -hmm. and pace yourself. Spread it out for as long. Take as long as you can to prepare. So, say you know you're going somewhere in three months. Start preparing now if you can. Why not? Uh, mm -hmm. Just take like, or if you have any way that you can delegate something to other people that can help you, that's a great way to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think I have had this exact conversation with my therapist, and I'll be honest, like, something she told me is, Does, do you think that's really helping you? Like, do you think it's helpful to pre-stress? You know, because, and it sounds like a weird question to ask, but it's like, our brains are doing that because they think it's helpful, because we think that if I just think through all these scenarios, then if one of them happens, I'll be prepared, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, um, the problem is that whatever ends up, whatever you're stressing about, if it's future anxiety, the future is very often, most of the time, it is not what we were stressed about anyway. And, you know, it's aside from really, really specific scenarios, like, yes, we should make a plan for, like, if there's a fire, if there's an earthquake, like, you do want to have, like, emergency preparedness plans. But, like, other than that, it's like, you know, the thing, what are all the things we all worried about on March 1st and March 2nd, 2020? Like, all the worries I had became completely irrelevant a week later, you know, when the pandemic started. So it's really not as adaptive a strategy as we think. We tend to think to get caught up in the pre-stress and pre-anxiety. And so, um, you know, and, and, and acknowledging that, yes, we can do everything we can to reduce the stress, like Eileen mentioned, you know, delegating, pacing ourselves, planning ahead, but also, um, you know, accepting that at a certain point, travel is stressful, you know, building in as much rest as you can. I have tried to do that more recently. Like before I used to be like, I would get home at like 9 p.m. from like a flight and then like work the next day now i try to like build in you know a recovery day if you can yep. but also accepting that yeah some degree of stress is expected you know mm -hmm. and she tells me oh yeah go, go on um sometimes when i experience a stressful event that might boost like adrenaline yeah i can do so much more and it's like i don't have pain i don't have fatigue and like the adrenaline just like pushes me so yeah so it, it it depends on the stressful event, right? Like, uh, adrenaline, that would be an example when going to the American College of Rheumatology. Like, I expected myself to be absolutely dead at it, but it was, like, fueled. Um, and, you know, still stressful that you, you're not catching everything. So, yeah, uh, yeah I guess it, it really depends on what the stress is. Yeah, like, if it's an event, like, a once-in-a-lifetime thing, like, a, like, you know, your best friend's wedding, like, there's really, I'm going to pace myself as much as I can, but like at a certain point, I'm going to say that like, I'm going to go all out once the wedding starts and I'm just, I'm going to pay for it the next day. And that's how I can plan rather than trying to pace within that event, because sometimes that's not the best solution. Um, yeah. And Jatel says, if you worry, you suffer twice, paraphrasing Newt Scamander. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. What else was I going to say? Oh, it flooded out of my brain. Um, but yeah, I again, pets, yeah. very great therapy. Yes. Yes. And yeah. And oh yes. Okay. Hey, it's what Haley said that reminded me of this. Haley said my, I feel like my brain is a little bitch, but really she's trying to help. And that is actually, oh, I think my AirPods just lost power. Can you hear me? Yeah. Can you hear me? Okay. Okay. Barely. Sorry. Sorry. My, my AirPods lost power. Um, but so one of the most important things about stress, let me know if you can't hear me in the comments. Sorry, it looks like I don't even... hear my headphones anymore. Can you hear me? I hear you. Yeah. Weird, because your headphones went and then my headphones went. Oh my gosh, they're, they're in sync. <laughs> but um, the thing is that, and if you've, if you've read any like self-help books or psychology things, articles about stress, one of the important things, thank you, Arthur food, um, about stress is that stress is important for our survival. So stress is like our alarm system, right? And it says that something, there is a threat. It's our body's normal, natural response to a threat is some degree of stress. So it's the fact that when, you know, stress, our stress systems were like evolved to, you know, occur when we had like not constant low level stress type threats, but like, okay, once 
every week there's like a mastodon that I'm going to try to, I don't know, this is a terrible example, but you know, now that the issues that our bodies are not good at coping with chronic low level stress. So I think for me, the most important stress management tool really is, you know, mindset. Some people call it mindset. Some people call it attitude or, you know, um, my mental well-being and saying like, yeah, what are the stories I'm choosing to tell myself about the thoughts and feelings I'm having? It's really called like metacognition. You know, it's how we think about our thoughts. And can I just tell a kinder story? You know, this is the only life I get. So I could spend my whole life being like, you suck to myself or I could choose to be a little bit more compassionate, you know? Yeah, I, yeah. I definitely And I guess like when I think about anything that causes me stress, especially when I do, fall down that negative spiral is again just focusing on if it really bugs me can I make change can I change any of the behaviors that I'm doing that is making me stressful for example say like I'm really bad at falling asleep with my tv on <laughs> you know and then I guilt trip myself over that like and it's funny you say like you guilt trip yourself on the advocate thing right yeah. you don't think you are a good advocate because you read a romance novel too late oh girl <laughs> hear me <laughs> um but that doesn't like we're still human we, we still deserve to have our slips ups and down and enjoy life or have our bad habits um we can't be perfect human beings just because we live with a chronic illness in fact actually i think it makes it even harder to be perfect when you're dealing with debilitating symptoms um and yeah like just focusing on what can i change what can i improve in realistic viewpoints mm -hmm. um i'm actually kind of working with a health coach right now on that nice. yeah um yeah so she's a kinesiologist and things like that it's for an app that i'm reviewing but it's just been interesting because she's been helping me kind of prioritize some of my goals and what's causing me stress particularly like what keeps me up at night um and that's been interesting because it's been able to kind of change my mind frame into thinking about okay well what little steps can i take today or reevaluating what steps i do take and learning from those yeah 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 i think that's a great example and you know i think for some reason when you were talking initially it was making me think about like some of the things i don't like about some aspects of like wellness culture in the autoimmune space is like when there's this messaging for, from certain, you know, influencer types. And again, to each their own, you know, if you resonate with me, follow me. If you resonate more with them, follow them. But like, where they're like, everything has to be like perfect. Like the, you have to eat the perfect food and have the perfect, you know, lifestyle habits. And it's like, it sets a lot of people up for failure because it makes them think, well, if I don't eat 100% clean and 100% follow this perfect diet, then I'm just going to fail at managing, you know, my conditions. So again, I'm a bigger fan of the kind of self-compassion and you know doing what we can like change control what we can to the degree that we have choices and things that can help our you know quality of life overall and help prevent future pain and fatigue but also like you know allow ourselves to be human like i'd rather eat a cupcake sometimes and like you know enjoy certain life events like a birthday party than kind of be beholden to this perfection idea that doesn't really hold a lot of meaning to me anyway so it's all about yeah yeah i also want to bring up some of these emotions particularly self negative self-talk and guilt has been rampant since the covid19 pandemic for a few reasons my gym closed i got bored so i ate more i didn't exercise as much but put on some weight so I blame myself for that, especially as an advocate, you know, who's always like, ah, exercise, exercise. But it's still like who is most people have gained weight over the pandemic. But it's like, you know, I drank more than I normally did because I was bored. And then I would do these negative self-talks and I'd be like, well, I'm not a very good influence, you know, patient advocate influencer. If I don't do this, but I'm really just human. And I'm going through what many other people in the world are going through because the pandemic was difficult to deal with. Um, it's created more stress and depression in us. And, you know, we're at home and we think that we should be perfect because we don't have as much to do. Mm. But it's actually kind of created the opposite in me. It's, I found it harder to do more things at home because of the pandemic. 
Um, so yeah, I just, I, I, I want people to know, like, um, I guess like if they're feeling like they've fallen off track after the pandemic, they're not the only person. Not at all. And I think, yeah, your story is even more, I mean, in some ways it's more powerful to be able to say like, look, I'm human too. Like, you know, cause then you're more relatable to the people who are, you know, reading your materials. And so, yeah, I really, but I resonate with you a lot because I, I tend to be harder. I think I'm harder on myself because, because I know I have a platform and I have, you know, some influence. I, I, you know, feel like there's, I put a little bit more pressure on myself, which is like with great power comes great responsibility, <laughs> but also like, mm -hmm. yeah, perfection doesn't really serve anyone. It really, it really doesn't. I mean, less, I mean, again, there are some rare cases where it does help people. Um, but I think most of the time it, it doesn't, you know, and, and so, um, I want to, do you have another 15 minutes? Sorry, I forgot to ask how long you are. Okay. <laughs> we'll go for another 15 minutes. And Haley asked, is there a link? from PTSD or CPTSD and chronic illness and autoimmune diseases. Yes, there is a link between, if you have suffered trauma, especially childhood trauma, you are more likely to develop chronic illnesses in general and autoimmune diseases specifically. So yes, that, there is a link to that. And so, you know, that can contribute to, you know, a kind of an underlying your system, your fight or flight system being kind of enacted if you've had to live through that kind of trauma. So I, I'm sorry if anyone has had that experience. I personally had a very like untraumatic childhood. So I feel like I feel just like so lucky about that. But yeah, so I mean, you're raising your- Yeah. Um, I definitely, it's called adverse childhood experiences. Yeah. Um, and I'm a product of that. Like I had an uh, alcoholic and neglectful mother and I was bullied quite a bit when I was younger too. So those were, I would say, my traumas. Um, while they weren't physical, they were emotional. And, um, you know, at 17, that's when I was diagnosed with clinical depression. And then shortly after that, I started to develop chronic pain symptoms. And I think that I may have had fibromyalgia even before RA. Mm. And I think a lot of that comes from adverse childhood experiences like I don't know many people who have fibromyalgia that haven't gone through something traumatic in their childhood too um yeah so that's a that's a very interesting conversation to have and you know um sometimes I get stressed about you know wondering why didn't my mom love me you know and that's like such a hard stress to go through but I have to realize well my parents had sex they had a child there's millions of sperms that go around there. I was just that one sperm that made it through, but that doesn't mean that I'm not lovable because my mother didn't love me, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's just an, an unfortunate circumstance, and I now have a child, and I give him the love that I didn't really get as a mom. So it's, you know, like, well, how can I repair that hole in my heart? Well, I repaired that by having my own child and loving him. Wow. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that because I know it is something that, especially when children kind of think everything's their fault, right? Children kind of interpret everything, and a lot of adults do too, but, um, you know, they interpret everything through the lens of, well, I must have done something wrong. You know, my parents got a divorce. It was me. If my mom doesn't love me, it's me. So it's, I can't imagine the amount of work it's taken to kind of get to the point where you have realized that, you know, you are worthy, you know? Just because someone has a child, unfortunately, doesn't mean that they're prepared to be a good parent, you know? And so, um, you know. yeah, well, I recognize now my mother was, she had depression. She didn't believe in doctors and she was projecting a lot of what she felt on herself onto me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it took me a long time to figure that out and kind of remove a lot of that self blame. Like, because I remember whenever I'd have a little tiff with her or get bullied it would send me down the spiral of just thinking horrible negative thoughts about myself. But I've been able to kind of stop doing that so much um, as I've grown and as I've kind of, I guess, accepted. Because, you know, you can't move on without acceptance. Yeah, yeah. And we get caught up in what, what should have happened, you know. And like, I get, as your friend, I am currently caught in that. Like, you should, you should have been able to experience childhood in a safe, emotionally safe environment where you knew you were unconditionally loved. I mean, I, you deserved that, but you didn't get that. And yeah, that's, that's just a, that's a huge reality to have to kind of 
face and and I'm just again I'm sorry that you had to go through that and I'm glad that you've been able what are they there's a word for it when you kind of you stop the trauma cycle like you treat your child so differently than how you were treated and that kind of stops the cycle from repeating because it does tend to repeat because if you don't if someone did, doesn't know better then they'll you know yep. repeat the patterns that they experienced so it takes a lot of strength to do that so well i think it also helped that i had a wonderful father well have a wonderful father but i haven't yeah. seen him in years because of covid but yeah no like it's like that devil and angel on your shoulder i look at it like sometimes i refer to the negative self talk in my head kind of like my mom you know and but the the good talk that i give is kind of like my dad it's kind of yeah. weird I guess just from my experiences, I don't know if that's really healthy. <laughs> oh, I think so. Like, I, there's exercises I know of where you like, and it's, I used to work a lot in pediatrics, so we would have people like uh, draw a character for like the shoulder angel versus I didn't say shoulder devil because I didn't want to make it like religious at all or like didn't want to scare any of the parents. Would so be like shoulder good guy, shoulder bad, or shoulder coach versus shoulder critic. That would be one that we did. So it'd be like you know some of them would say like you know um, characters from you know, Inside Out or characters from, you know, fate, the movies, you know, it'd be like Obi-Wan Kenobi is like the, sh the shoulder coach and the shoulder critic is like Darth Vader or whatever. So, um, I mean, those are obviously made up characters, but I think, yeah, having, you know, actual people, like a good person in your life, like your dad being the reminder, you know, talking in your ear, like, yeah, you're worthy, you know, I love you. I think that makes a lot of sense. I approve that technique. <laughs> Okay, good. <laughs> okay, not that you need anyone to, but it's, it has the Cheryl Crow stamp of approval. But no, yeah, um, yeah and I really, um, you know, again, I know that it must be so comp complex for people who, you know, have, because I, I, the only real trauma I've had is truly the medical trauma of not being believed because, um, because it, it was actually just so shocking because I had had such a, again, not comparing this to anyone else's situation, but I had it my psychologist literally referred to my childhood as like a positive outlier. Like I had like, I literally grew up in like Mr. Rogers neighborhood. Like my parents are amazing. Like, and I just like not, they just are just so unconditionally loving, but also like able to deliver like, you know, harsh truths and have inset boundaries and stuff. But um, so I trusted adults, you know, I trusted I, I didn't have the experience a lot of people have in unsafe childhoods where you learn early on, like, ooh, adults are not, you know, um, you know, not, not trustworthy and stuff. So when the, when I, it was, it, I was 20, you know, 19 and 20. And so, so I was so privileged to not even ever experience it, really something, a bad experience with an adult until then. But, you know, the doctors, these are the people I respect. So I'm going to them and they're accusing me of having, of hiding an eating disorder and they're saying that I must be just making it up. I'm hypochondriac. It was so confusing, you know, because I was like, it was just like really cognitive dissonance. You know, it was like, they are doctors. Like in my head, like that's like the voice of God. Like they, there's no way they would be like imperfect. But then like, I know what I'm experiencing. Like this rheumatoid arthritis, which I didn't know what it was, did not come out of nowhere. Like, or, or did come out of nowhere. It didn't come out of me being anxious. I had nothing to be anxious about. <laughs> until my body started breaking down and then so anyway um but yeah so uh, I, I just don't want to make this all about me but you know it's it can come from different things and yeah like Jatel says medical trauma from being kind of essentially I call it kind of accidentally medically gaslit I don't believe that any of the doctors who misdiagnosed me thought that I actually had rheumatoid arthritis and they're like ha 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 I'm gonna gaslight her and not not die like they, they legitimately thought they were right they thought I was faking, like they thought I was a hypochondriac. So, I mean, they shouldn't have treated me the way they did, but also I don't think it was true gaslighting, but the effect on me was it felt like gaslighting. Cause I'm like, I'm sick. And they're like, no, you're not. <laughs> and I'm like, but I am. And if you don't help me, who's gonna help me? Like, you're the only one that has the power to help me and you're saying that I'm not sick. So mm -hmm. anyway, so that was really, that was the first actual like emotional trauma I've, I've experienced because I just, I was like, no one's helping me like no one like the help it's like mr rogers says look for the helpers like i looked for the helpers i went to them and they're like nope not gonna deal mm -hmm. with you so anyway sorry yeah. but i yeah. think it's rare to find anybody who has a chronic illness not have gone through some medical ptsd i know i've had my fair share especially recently um i had a 
colonoscopy go bad and I ended up in the ER and yes. I, I remember being medically gaslighted while that experience was happening because the nurses couldn't find my veins and they're like well it's because you have tattoos but I get infusions every month I get my blood work done I've never heard that they say it's harder but you can't not find somebody's tattoos or find their veins because of their tattoos you can feel for them you can pull an ultrasound machine you can use heat and i was advocating for myself um and i think you know the best way to get out of medical trauma is to advocate for yourself and you know if something does go wrong file a complaint because i complained about that i was like that's not right um and that made me feel better because i voiced my opinion and voicing my opinion does not make you a difficult patient does it make you a karen <laughs> and my mom's karen. <laughs> but you know um yeah and i guess i've had many bad doctors and it's made me kind of weary going into the doctor sometimes because i'm like what am i going to get from this one especially a new one or if i have to see one that's just never given me the care that i really need mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. oh how do you file a complaint you well i went to the oh gosh what was it called i had a friend who's a nurse yeah and um, and she told me exactly to google what department to file if, your complaint sometimes it's called patient relations but if you think it's a medical error that's usually like risk management or there's there's like three different departments there's like one for medical errors one for like patient relations is typically like customer service type things maybe not clinical but like they like someone like was rude to you or they like they didn't take your complaint seriously it's kind of verging on medical but if it's actually, if you feel like they didn't perform, like my friend Kim, who did a, we did an episode with her on the podcast of like her medical gaslighting where they were like, your lungs look fine. And she had like a huge like air leak in her lungs. Like that was like an actual error that goes through um, like risk management, I believe. But yeah, different, different in your own Canada. So different, different settings, um, call them different departments, but you can ask them, you know, I want to file a complaint. The third, oh, the third place would be, if you believe it's a huge like medical error and negligent situation, you can report the provider. It could be a physical therapist. It could be a doctor, like any licensed health provider, you can report to the licensing board. Um, and that's, that's not for customer service. That's like for, you know, really like an error. Like I had a, someone in my room to five support group where they're like, yeah, is it normal for a rheumatologist to do a breast exam? I was like, not that I've ever heard that's weird like you know things like that um but um yeah i know oh Jatel, yeah yeah Jatel has I, I i don't like to just like shit on doctors because there are so many wonderful ones including again me being like very lucky person i have really great rheumatologists but um Jatel has refused this to wear a mask which i feel like this is the bare minimum person you're a rheumatologist dealing with people with autoimmune why are you not wearing a mask um, yeah, that doesn't make much sense. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, yeah, you, uh, yeah, you want to wait until to tell you're saying you want to wait till you find the new doctor to complain about the old one. I mean, that does kind of make a little sense, but oh, yes. that's so frustrating. That's so difficult. Yeah, and I remember. I'm sorry, I, I read about how you had the the huge like the air in your intestines that was causing so much pain. They weren't taking that seriously, but I didn't realize that they also were like complaining about your tattoos as the reason you can't find a vein. That's, you know, my sister, yeah. NICU nurse, she finds veins on babies that are like literally less than two pounds. So I'm like, you guys should be able to find a vein on a full grown adult, you know? Yeah. Well, there was, I guess I felt like there was a lot of incompetence with the, the nurses then. I, it was a colonoscopy. So you, get really dehydrated before colonoscopy. And I was like, yes. you know, you may also be having a hard time finding my veins because I'm dehydrated. And they told me I was too young to be dehydrated. They even told me I was too young to live with RA. So I was just like, oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a lot. Oh, this is going to cut us off at an hour. I remembered that. Okay. Really quick, can you show off your shirt? Because I want to make sure everyone knows you have an Etsy store that you just started. No spoons, <laughs> only knives. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. I totally forgot that it was going to cut us off at an hour, actually. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you want to put the link to the etsy store maybe once i upload this you can put the link yeah. to the Etsy store. you and can just look up it's in my bio so you oh, yeah. go to my page chronic eileen is the first link in my link tree um or you can look up chronic boutique on etsy it's supposed to be chronic eileen boutique but they don't give you enough characters but yeah 
and I have several different designs. I'm slowly working at getting more colors and things in, but yeah, I'm glad people are enjoying them so far. Thank you so much. And you know what? I have to stop it now. Otherwise, it won't let me upload the recording later. So I'm okay. so sorry to be so quick. But thank you all. And if you do want to join, subscribe, join by Thursday. But I'll put <laughs> this replay up. Thank you again. Yes, and good stickers too. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, a membership and support community where you'll learn how to develop your own Thrive toolbox so you can live a full life despite your rheumatic disease or chronic illness. Learn more in the show notes or by going to www.myarthritislife.net. You can also connect with me on my social media accounts on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and even TikTok. Check out the links in the show notes.